And as you're doing so, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We are finishing up a study in the book of Galatians. If this is your first time to Fullness, again, welcome. We've been doing a book study of Galatians, which uh, is going to culminate today. The whole theme of the book of Galatians is about freedom. Uh, it's about freedom in Christ. Uh, what has happened in Galatia is that a group of people have followed Paul after he started the church. They followed him in and basically tried to teach the church in Galatians that Paul's gospel was okay uh, in, in as far as it went, but that if you really wanted to be a Christian, that you had to follow the Jewish law as well. You had to become circumcised. You had to follow the feast days. In other words, they were trying to add to the gospel, the good news of Christ, that he came and suffered and died for our sins and restored us to relationship with God, which is the heart of the gospel. They were trying to add to that law. And Paul is, when, he, when it comes right down to it, he just hacked off. He's mad at them. He's mad at those who have come in teaching it. And he, he, he the books of Paul... Uh, the letters that we have from Paul, this one's got an edge to it in a couple of places that is um, more than just edgy. Uh, he is really going after them and saying, this is indeed not the case. You are free in Christ. The gospel is about freedom. My past shows this freedom. Uh, we are free because now we're part of a family of faith. We're free to love. We're free to walk in the Spirit. And now he's going to get to Galatians chapter 6. And I, I believe the, the, this is a, it's a chapter that is just full of stuff. Uh, it's it's kind of like, um, I, you may not have this, but we have this drawer at home where like you walk in and you just dump everything in this one drawer. You know, it's kind of like the junk drawer. You put your keys, you put your wallet, you put spare keys, you put whatever, and you do it because you don't want everybody else to see it out on the counter, but you throw it in this one drawer. This chapter is kind of like this. Paul's just got a lot to say in a short amount of time. But there's really uh, an idea or theme to it that I believe is very, very important to us, and it's, it's about serving one another in love. And Here's a contention I'd like to make this morning that I'd like to carry over into the next, actually, 12 weeks. And it's this. You don't really find out who you are in Christ until you start to give away what he's given you. I don't know if this makes sense, but, but really, the way to discover who you are in Jesus and why you're here is, is by giving away what God has given to you. You are free to serve. Now, let me just say that this runs contrary to both our society and to what you'll hear in church a lot, in that we live in a consumer mentality. You are inundated with this idea that everything is about you. Right? I mean, really, I was just watching football last night, as many of you were, um, and the commercial after commercial after commercial was designed to um, 
stimulate my thoughts and my desires for certain products. To say, this is, you're going to be a happier Bart if you drive this car. You're going to be, you're going to be living a full life if you'll, if you'll drink this product. You're going to be, this is all about you. Don't you want to be you? Don't you want to be the best you you could possibly be? Well, if you want to be the best you, then you need this. So take it, consume it, make it a part of you, and you will live a happy and fulfilled life. And just to be honest with you, I want to say that that, that is Satan's lie. From the Garden of Eden forward, he's been putting out this hand to say, I start to say it's a lie born in the pit of hell because that's what it is. It is, it, it is that given to you saying, did God really say, don't take this for you? Because don't you know if you take this for you, you'll be a happier you? You'll be better? I believe the message of the gospel is this. If you want to find yourself, give yourself away. If you want to find life, then don't hoard life, but open-handedly begin to see how can I serve the world around. So in your bulletin, there's a, there's a little flyer, and we're, we're having a, to a campaign, so to speak, where we're doing everything. We're going to teach on Sunday morning character studies from the Bible, and then on Wednesday night, we're going to have a workshops and times where we can put into practice what we're learning on Sunday morning. And it all has to do with activating you, all of us, becoming activated and increasing our impact on the world. And we do it by giving ourselves away. So I want to encourage you to, starting next Sunday morning, come and hear the message, then follow up on Wednesday nights at 6.30. And I, I know that Wednesday nights are hard. It is difficult to get to Wednesday nights. We've got school. We've got work. Uh, I, I would encourage you, if you could really commit to coming to those, I'm not trying to guilt you into it. I think you'll be blessed. Our youth and our adults are going to be together downstairs around round tables discussing how do we give away what God has given us. I think that's what Paul is going to be talking about this morning. In Galatians 6, and you know many of these passages already really well. And the line of thinking is like this. Paul has been saying, look, everything leads to freedom in Christ. Freedom, freedom in the Spirit. And, and it's almost as if the Galatians are asking, okay, how, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? How do I know? The law, see, tells me exactly what to do. Once I enter this freedom in Christ, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? I remember a number of years ago, there was a, when the Yeti-like cups started coming out, those, you know, metal thermoses that pretend they're cups, and I saw a commercial for, the, it was on the street interview with this guy, it was a news report, and it was this older guy, and, and the guy interviewing him was saying, yeah, it keeps hot things hot for hours, and it keeps cold things cold for hours. <coughs> Excuse me. The old guy just kind of looks at him, and the, the reporter says something like, don't you believe me? 
It keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. And the old man says, you're telling me it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. And the reporter goes, yeah. And the old man goes, but how do it know? How do it know what's hot and cold? You, you, you get the idea? It's kind of like, it's kind of like how, how do I know that I'm doing the right thing? I want to know I'm winning, not losing. I want to know that I'm on the right track. I want to know that I'm filled with the Spirit. How do I know that I'm not cold, but that I'm hot, so to speak, in a spiritual sense? Let me take a run at this from starting at Galatians 5.13. He says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free. Okay, we got the whole freedom idea. But do not use your freedom to what? Indulge the sinful nature. That means consume, so to speak. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we know that Jesus said... The entire law is summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Paul is assuming that's taken place, that they're filled with the Spirit. But then he's going on to the next stage to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on in Galatians 5, and he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Number one, love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then in the last verse of chapter 5, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. In other words, he says, don't just pour it on yourself. Don't become envious of other people, but rather, he's going to talk about, give yourself away. Love one another. And, and here's kind of where I'm headed this morning, and it's this, that the, the greatest evidence of the Spirit-filled life is love for one another. Listen, I, I've been around charismatic circles for a long time now, and we talk a lot about the gifts of the Spirit and the, the move of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, but the greatest evidence of being filled with the Spirit is that we have love for one another. When Jesus said, you're gonna, people are going to know you're my followers, how did he say that they're going to know? They're going to know it because you can... You can dance like a fool. They're going to know it because you can speak in all these tongues. You're going to know it because they can... No, those are great, and we believe in those things. But the evidence that we're followers of Jesus Christ is that we have this unbelievable love for one another. Paul, in his discussion, just to kind of keep you rolling on this idea, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul is addressing a church in Corinth Who's, who love spiritual gifts and have gotten out of whack with their belief about spiritual gifts. And Paul is trying to teach them, saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, brothers, but instead, let me teach you some things. And he teaches them 12, 13, and 14 about spiritual gifts. And into the middle of this discussion, we have this chapter on love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain 
Nothing. Now listen, we're for all of these things. Prophecy, tongues, giving, martyrdom, if God calls you to that. Um, I mean, it's a one-time gift. You don't get to use it often, but it's still a gift that God may give you. Whatever the case may, whatever the case may be, Paul is saying there's something overriding here when you talk about being filled with the Spirit, and it is this. You love people. You love people. The greatest evidence of the Spirit-filled life is for love for one another. So, if you want to discover why you were born, why God created you, why you've been redeemed, then you need to discover your purpose. And your purpose will only be discovered, I believe, by understanding that you are to give your life away, that we're to serve others. So what does this look like? Excuse me, why? What does this look like? Well, we are free to serve by helping. By helping. I think this seems a little obvious, but let me just kind of give it to you in a, in a certain way. Brothers or sisters or people, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, spirit-filled, should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, I love this word, this sentence, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Ah, you can underline that last sentence if you want to, um, since I'm instructing today. It's a joke. Uh, if you read the last sentence, it'll make more sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. First, Paul is saying, if you want to really follow the law, then love God and love people. Love God and love people. And he's saying that there are some enemies to serve. He, he wants us to serve by helping others. But the problem is there are some barriers or some things that keep us from helping others. And so the first of these is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. It's hard to help others if all you are doing is so centered upon yourself. Let us not become conceited. The conceited person is a self-centered person, a person who's always thinking about themselves. C.S. Lewis says, if anyone would like to acquire humility... I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud and the biggest step, too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. You understand what he's saying? You can't do any other steps. This is such a big step. You can't do anything until you acquire humility. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. What is he saying? We all got this problem. We, we came into this life with a self-centeredness. He goes on and says, Pride is the chief cause 
of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Wow, that's a pretty broad statement, don't you think? Pride is the thing that causes us to rub against one another in a way that irritates one another. Problems in the world, problems in our families, problems in our relationship. I'm just going to run through these. I could preach on each one. But self-centeredness, we need to get over ourselves. Self-righteousness, verse 1 of chapter 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual will restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. He's saying what? We can't make ourselves right. We, we don't have that ability to create righteousness in and of ourselves. Christ did it, and we should help one another because we all got these blind spots. But even when you're helping someone with our blind spots, be careful so that you don't get tempted and fall into their blind spots. Self-sufficiency. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Everyone, I mean, you just look around in this room. I want to tell you this, everyone in this room has a burden of some sort that they are bearing. And I I want to tell you this too, you cannot carry your burden alone. You can't do it. You can try, but at some point the burden will be so overwhelming that all you want to do is hide in your den and never come out. You can't do it. You are not sufficient in and of yourself. And self-esteem. You think you're more than you are. We all need to know that apart from Christ, we have nothing good in us. So Paul is saying that in in order to serve, we need to get over ourselves in order to help. And we need to step out of ourselves to help others. He even talks about loving confrontation. And if you remember back in chapter 2 and 3, he talks about his history and how he even confronted Peter. Now, can you imagine Paul's confronting Peter? Peter needs to be confronted. Why? Because Peter had blind spots that someone like Paul would help him see. And Paul has blind spots that he needs others to help him see. We all need help. We need to be a helping community. Here's the problem. If you really need help, sometimes the last place you're going to go on earth is church. Why? Because when legalism enters the church, we start judging. And then someone has problems, and we start judging. And they feel not helped, but judged. And let me just say this too. Sometimes the people that yell the loudest about a certain sin are actually caught up in that sin themselves. Why? Because they're so convicted about it. I get tons of stories here. 1986. Jimmy Swagger is the leading televangelist in the country. For those of you who were born 1990 and later... You, you don't know how big, as far as televangelism goes, Jimmy Swagger was on stations. A fellow minister in the Baton Rouge area, a guy by the name of Marvin Gorman, was accused of having affairs. He, he was in the Assembly of God Church, which Jimmy Swagger also was, and 
he was caught in adultery for having affairs with a couple of women in his church. Jimmy Swaggart spoke out really strongly against him. I mean, really strongly on television and in other areas. He attacked this guy. So Marvin Gorman eventually is, the term is defrocked, but he loses his ordination. He's kicked out of the assembly of God. He loses his church over these affairs. Within just a couple of months, photographs come out of Jimmy Swaggart in um, the company at a local travel lodge of a prostitute. By the way, the pictures, <laughs> this is so ugly, the pictures were taken by Marvin Gorman's son-in-law. We love each other in the church, don't we? Sometimes when we yell, rather than helping people, we judge them. We try and split things. We try to heap ashes and coal on their head rather than saying, hey, let me restore you in love. Let me help. Because love, for many times, is not the overriding characteristic. Once law enters, we have to work according to the law, right? Are, are you all staying with me here? We, we want to help. Thanks, Dottie. I'm coming with you, Dottie. Me and you, we're going forward. <laughs> we want to help one another, not judge one another. We want to serve in love. We're called to serve one another by helping one another. Second, we're free to serve with diligence. Free to serve with diligence. A very familiar passage says this in chapter 7. I'm just going through chapter 6. This is verse 7, sorry. It says, do not, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Right? A man reaps what he sows. You, you understand the law of the harvest. You're sowing seeds of something. And eventually those seeds are going to come in to harvest. You're going to reap it. Okay, what do I want to sow? The one who sows to please his sinful nature. And again, I'm using this as a self-centeredness kind of idea, but it's true. We're trying to feed the flesh. What's he going to reap? He's going to reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is not just something spiritual-minded, by the way. This is not just studying your Bible. This is not just, there is an act here that he's calling us to in the Spirit to reach out in love when he says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. <clears throat> we need to serve with diligence. Serve with diligence. Here's, here's what Paul, I believe, is saying. If you want to know if you're spirit-filled, then love. And love is not just an emotion Love is an action. Let us do good, starting where? Especially in the house of God. Now, this is not, again, okay, we got to get our own. Come on into the club and let us feed ourselves and we'll... But he's saying, start with those around you in the house of God. 
serve and do good and then let it carry out into the world around you so that they are impacted with the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't give up. Harvesting takes diligence. See, we want to, you know this, we want to plant our seed. We live in a microwave culture. We want to plant it and tomorrow it pay off. But sowing and reaping is a time process. This past week, I became a grandfather. Just thought, it, you know, you knew I was going to show a picture, right, of uh, the, the grandbaby. This is Leo. I, 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 when I was in the room the other day, and I'd been preparing this sermon already, I, I, was, I got recommitted to sowing spiritual seeds into my grandson's life. To, to, to say that, that the Brookins family is going to continue to be a family of faith. And it's only going to be a family of faith if someone sows seeds of faith into this young life. And, and I, I am committed to seeing those seeds, if, from my part, sown into his life. And here's the idea. I may not see this pay off. Right? I, I'm... I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to realize that there's no guarantee that when this child becomes 20, 30, and 40, I'm going to see the seeds that I'm sowing into his life pay off. In other words, you may not see the seeds you're sowing today pay off even in your lifetime. Does that mean you should quit? Absolutely not. We have to keep passing this on to the generation that follows and the generation after that and the generation after that. Don't, don't quit. Do not give up. Do not give up. It's why we, it's why I want to encourage you in the middle of the busyness of life. Whenever I ask someone how they're doing, I usually get this. I'm a pastor. I'm really busy. I'm busy. And someone asks me, pastor, how you doing? I'm busy. Busy, busy, busy. All of us are stinking busy. I understand that. It, we're just busy. And I just like saying busy. So when I ask you to come on Wednesday night for this Activate series, what do you first thing? Well, I'm really busy. You know, I'm really busy. I've got to get my busy children to bed so they can get busy again tomorrow. Right? I mean, really, we start thinking about those things. But I, I believe that there's a seed that's going to be sown in this that's going to harvest something of righteousness, of us activating our lives so that we can impact our community for Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just say this, and this is just from my heart, and we are, we're a very sports-minded family. My son is a soccer coach. My kid, my, one of my sons is out, I don't know what he's doing, climbing mountains today or something. He's somewhere, somewhere doing something. And My kids are busy. But when they stand before God, he's not going to say, hey, how did that soccer thing work out for you? He's not going to say, wow, what a, I'm so proud of you for climbing that mountain. I believe he's going to ask, what did, what did you do with the seeds of truth and love that I planted in your heart? Did you give them away? Did you use the gifts I've given you? Did you impact the community with the good news of Jesus Christ?
What is it we're sowing into our kids' lives? And I'm not trying to guilt you right now, honestly. I'm just asking you to reflect. What is it we're sowing? Are we sowing seeds that are going to make a difference and a payoff in the long run? Seeds of righteousness. Seeds of life. And, and just giving you some ideas about sowing. Sowing takes proximity. By that, I mean you've got to be close to sow. I mean, I can't throw seeds out and hope the wind blows them into some field that I may eventually see. I, I, I have to be close to the field in order to sow the seeds. It's one of the reasons... We want you to be part of an E3 group, a small group. Get in proximity to one another. If you want to see, sow seeds of righteousness in other people's lives, you've got to be close to them. Sowing takes time. You can't hurry this process. Sowing has got to be others-based. Rather than being concerned about you, it's got to be concerned about others. It takes diligence. That's the whole point of this. You can't give up. But it will, God promises, pay off. It will pay off. So it takes diligence. Love one another. Serve one another. Finally, we need to serve with pure motives. Now, this seems redundant from the introduction, but this is how bad we are. <laughs> we need to keep reminding ourselves of the motives for which we do things. Galatians 6.11. I'm going to just finish the chapter out. See what large letters... I use as I write to you with my own hand. Just to comment on this very quickly, Paul, he, he evidently had an eyesight problem. He's, he was getting older, and, you know, we all get older, and it takes bigger letters. You know, my sermon, I keep bumping it up a font every so often, but so that I can actually see it up here rather than put on my reading glasses on and off the whole time. Paul, is, he says, hey, I want you to know I wrote this. So in large letters, he writes out, Hey, this is all from me, even though he transcribed it to some guy. Anyway, he goes on. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's saying they have impure motives for why they're doing this. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. This does not get pretty. But he's just basically saying it's all about their pride, not about their, again, their motives are not right. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I think Paul is lumping a lot of things in here, including uh, sincerely Paul. You know, he's kind of closing it out, his letter. But I believe what he's trying to say to them is, I don't want to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. I want my motives to be so pure that people can't say, hey, Paul's doing this for money. Or Paul's doing this to exalt his name. Or Paul's doing this for this reason or that reason. My motives are pure. All I want to do is exalt Jesus. I believe this is 
a great place for us to examine our hearts. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Every Sunday morning when you walk into church, we have an incredible group of people who stand in the foyer and greet you, hug you, hand out bulletins with sermon outline and all the announcements and your connection card and they're, they're very diligent every Sunday morning. We've got people who make coffee every Sunday morning so that you can, you can get a cup of coffee when you want to and come in so that you feel comfortable as you come into church. Why, why do these people do this every single week? Why do they do it? And, and here's what I would say to you. I believe that their motive is to create a an environment, an atmosphere, so that when you come into this place and worship occurs, the music happens and the, the word is proclaimed, that you'll be in a position to hear from God. They want you to, to, to feel welcomed and to feel loved and to not feel judged. And all of these things are going into why they're standing out there week after week, handing out in other words, it's not just a chore. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. They're not doing it out of guilt, I pray. But rather because they see themselves as ministers of the gospel who are helping you come in here to hear from God. Give a cup of water in Jesus' name. Now, see, here's the truth. Two people can be doing the exact same job with different motives. If one guy is doing it with a bad heart and to make himself known and to say for people, hey, look how good I look. I'm handing out bulletins every Sunday. And the other person is doing it saying, I want to love you and help you hear from God today. I, I want to say to you, there's a sowing and reaping thing here. You're going to, it's going to affect. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God and the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, be manifested in your life because the only thing that really counts is serving one another in love. It was for freedom. What kind of freedom that Christ has set us free? The freedom to love, the freedom to serve, the freedom to love God with everything that we are, for Him to love us and to manifest that love to the world around us. Don't be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't put on the law, don't put on guilt, don't put on all this other junk. We were called to be free, but don't use this freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, Love your neighbor as yourself. We want to be like Jesus, don't we, ultimately? Don't we have this, isn't that what we're called to be? Christians like Christ, Christ-like? Jesus said this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life away. Give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be like Jesus, serve. Give your life away. If we want the world to know that we're followers of Jesus, then let's love one another 
and serve one another in love. I want to pray for us because this is basic Christianity 101. This is like, if we don't get this, everything else is just like, we really, it doesn't matter. This needs to permeate our lives and our hearts. I want, to, I want to encourage you to examine your heart right now, to allow the Spirit of God to shine His light into your life and say to you, how's your heart today? You, you, you know this, right? If your heart goes out, you go out physically. If your heart goes bad, you're done. In a spiritual sense, if your heart is wrong, your spiritual life is not in line. And the only way you can know that is by the Spirit of God shining His light. I know that some of you have had heart tests done before. You, you, you need... It's, it's intrusive. You need the Spirit of God to shine His light into your heart to examine where are you today. So that you can be activated so that God can use you and do everything He wants for to do in you and through you in the days ahead so that you can indeed discover why you're on this earth. It can all happen. His presence is here to touch and to lead and to guide. Lord, I pray right now that you would lead us. Spirit of God, move among us. Examine our hearts before you this morning. Lord, we, we acknowledge that in our culture, in our day, and with our sin issues, that it is hard, it is difficult to stay on focus and to not let our hearts once again get corrupted. So, Spirit of God, move in us today. May we be a people who absolutely love one another. May we serve one another in love. May the world know that we're your followers because we love one another with a ridiculous kind of love. That we're impassioned with you to serve the world around us. Lord, I thank you for this people in this place. Lord, I believe that you're going to release in all of us the ability to have a greater impact on our city with the good news of Jesus Christ because we love well and we serve well. Lord, we thank you. We give ourselves to you afresh and anew this morning. We commit ourselves to you. May we boast in nothing except the cross of Christ in our lives. his way in your heart right now just as a commitment to him it'll we're only going to sing the chorus through just use it as